Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 18. This morning we'll be looking at verses 31 through 43. And before I read, I want to say just a few things. This is, I believe, week nine. We have recorded our worship services, and we pray God would continue to use this in our lives as a body of Christ as we gather around His Word, whether it's in your den or your study, around the kitchen table, wherever it may be. Uh, As you open your Bibles to Luke 18, we pray God would bless our gathering again uh, this morning. When we meet like this, we're not always able to observe all the elements of worship. And one of those is giving. We've not been able to physically give as a congregation together. But let me encourage you that our giving is actually up significantly. And that's just evidence of God's grace, of a generous people whose hearts have been moved by the gospel and transformed by that gospel. So as a pastor, I want to thank you for continuing to worship by giving to God uh, his tithes and offerings. And uh, we are richly blessed as God's people. Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 31, hear now the word of God. And taking the twelve, he that is Jesus said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spat upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them. And they did not grasp what he said. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing the crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. On me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What is it you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight, followed him glorifying God, and all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Here ends the reading of His Word. Let's pray again. Fathers, we often pray, open our eyes that we may behold wondrous truths from Your Word, truths that will not simply inform our minds, but transform our hearts and our lives. More fully for Your glory, we ask in Jesus' name, Amen. Luke is introducing us to a blind man who's been healed by Jesus, and in Mark's gospel, he actually tells us the man's name. This is the account of blind Bartimaeus. Years ago, during a marketplace at Lexington Presbyterian Church, Bob Carroll, one of our deacons, played the part of blind Bartimaeus, and he had his part down pat. Bob sat in a corner with his eyes glazed, Face looked concerned, basket in hand, rocking back and forth, crying out, Alms for the poor, 
alms for the poor. Well, the children had been given tokens to spend in the marketplace, and several of the children actually put their tokens in Bob's basket. One day after uh, marketplace, Bob went to Walmart, and one of the children saw him there. They talked for a few minutes, and the next day as we gathered for marketplace, this child began saying to his friends, Don't give any of your tokens to Bartimaeus. I saw him yesterday at Walmart, and he can see. He's a fake. Well, this Bartimaeus was no fake. This is the real deal. The story of Bartimaeus is prefaced by Jesus once again, telling his disciples why he is going to Jerusalem. He'll be beaten and mocked and spat upon and killed, and on the third day, he will rise again. But his disciples couldn't understand it. It didn't fit their expectations of the coming Messiah. It was hidden from them. They, they just could not see what Jesus was saying. And I think this might be one of the reasons the Holy Spirit had Luke, in putting this together, had this story of blind Bartimaeus following this account. You see, Jesus is helping us to understand that there's a, another kind of seeing that is necessary in order to enter the kingdom of God. And so let's look more carefully at this story of blind Bartimaeus. As he sat by the roadside begging for his daily substance, he heard commotion and he learned that it was Jesus passing by. So he cried out repeatedly, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And the mercy of Christ was demonstrated in his granting physical sight to this blind man. As this poor, pitiful man persistently cried out to Jesus, Jesus stopped, brought him, had him brought to him, and he asked somewhat of an obvious question. What do you want me to do for you? Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. And immediately, blind Bartimaeus could see. His sight was restored. What do we learn from this miraculous healing of the blind man? First, we realize that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of Man and Son of God. Earlier in Luke's account, he quoted, Jesus quoted Isaiah. And from that prophecy of the coming Messiah, Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of the sight to the blind. This was a demonstration that Jesus indeed was the Messiah, the coming Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And it's a reminder that He is Lord the man goes on to call him Lord, not in a polite sense of sir, but Lord as in Lord God. And this Messiah, this Christ, this Lord God is merciful and he is mighty. He is full of pity and joined with power. And when we cry out to him, he stops and he hears the sighs and the cries of his children. He is attentive to our hurts, our wants, our needs, our desires. 
He's not aloof. He is not unconcerned about our sickness, trouble, and sorrow. He's not disinterested in those who are struggling with or fearful of COVID-19. He is compassionate, and He is merciful, and He is loving. And in this instance, He immediately brings physical healing to Bartimaeus. That mercy of a miracle is immediately manifested. But what a mistake to assume that Jesus always heals immediately. The immediate healings in his earthly ministry were but a foretaste of what the ultimate healing would look like in glory. They're but a foretaste of heavenly glory and a full salvation. And not until then will his healing and restoration and salvation be fully complete. And so in many instances in our lives, Jesus' mercy is not immediately seen. It's not immediately experienced. But His mercy is demonstrated, nevertheless, in providing grace in and through our sufferings. Not long after Martin and Laura's story were married, Martin was diagnosed with a brain tumor. The news rocked this young couple. The tumor and the subsequent surgery left its mark on Martin. And while for years they had prayed and cried out for mercy, for complete healing, that complete healing has not yet come. However, God's mercy is still manifested in their lives. As Laura wrote in her song, Blessings, we pray for blessings We pray for peace, comfort for family, protection while we sleep. We pray for healing, for prosperity. We pray your mighty hand to ease our suffering. And all the while you hear each spoken need, yet love is way too much to give us lesser things. Because what if your blessings come through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near? What if trials of this life are your mercies in disguise? Yes, Jesus Christ is merciful and mighty, but sometimes when His mercy is not immediately apparent, nevertheless, it is always present. Our merciful Savior is at work in our hearts, not giving us less than what we ask, but more in our waiting. And so, ye fearful saints, fresh courage, take the clouds you so much dread, are big with mercy, and shall break in blessings on your head. While blind Bartimaeus cried out for mercy to heal his blindness, he also may have actually had more in mind and not less It may be worth noting that his first cry is a cry for mercy and not healing. He's not sitting on the corner crying out, Lord, would you heal me? But he's crying out for mercy. That's why Jesus inquired more specifically what he wanted him to do. Not for Jesus' sake, but for the sake of the crowd and for Bartimaeus. Crying out for mercy indicates Bartimaeus knew not only that all was not well physically, But all was not well spiritually either. Mercy describes one whose self-awareness is that of not being worthy. 
Bartimaeus realized he wasn't even worthy of Jesus' stop. And yet all this is further indication of the mercy of Christ. It's indication that the mercy of Christ was demonstrated not only in a physical healing, but granting spiritual sight to this blind man. Before blind Bartimaeus was ever healed physically, before he could ever see the face of Jesus, he could see far better than most people in the crowd. When asked who was passing by, the crowd responded, Jesus of Nazareth. But when Bartimaeus heard this, he cried out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Drawing back from the promise of 1 Samuel chapter 7, that the Messiah, the Christ, the King, whose kingdom would see no end, would come through the line of David. He cries out in faith, Jesus, Son of David, Lord, Lord God. And this is not some simple acknowledgement of the head. This was a deep conviction of his heart. For Jesus went on to say, Your sight's recovered because your faith has saved you. And not only could blind Bartimaeus see more clearly the men in the crowd, he could see more clearly some things that even the disciples could not yet see. Jesus had told them plainly again and again the purpose of his going to Jerusalem, but they could not understand it. They could not see it. Why? Not only because it didn't fit their expectations or their paradigm of the coming Messiah, a suffering servant meant no sense to them. But there was another reason. The verse tells us in verse 34, these things were hidden from them. You see, the natural eye cannot see, nor the natural heart perceive spiritual realities. These things must be revealed in God's grace and mercy to His people. That's why Paul put it this way to the Corinthians. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. They cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned we see this need of revelation we see this need for God to open eyes in Peter's own testimony when Peter cried out Jesus you are the Christ the son of the living God Jesus followed up by saying this blessed are you Simon Barjona for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you but my father who is in heaven it's God's mercy that opens eyes that we might begin to understand the spiritual realities. In mercy, even before Jesus granted physical sight to Bartimaeus, he had already granted him spiritual sight to see that this Jesus of Nazareth was the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Son of David, who had come in power and glory. Apart from that work of the Spirit, he would have never cried out in faith. And this is true of us as well, who've cried out to Jesus for mercy. This is why many can sit in church for years under the clear preaching and teaching of the gospel and never understand it. It makes no sense to them. It's not attractive to them. It's hidden from them. Their spiritual eyes are 
blind. It is not until God in sovereign grace and mercy opens our eyes and gives us ears to hear and hearts to respond that we might see the beauty and the glory and the wonder of Christ and embrace Him by faith as He's freely offered in the gospel. It is not until God does this work that we will truly see Jesus for who He is. Helen Keller was once asked, Isn't it terrible to be blind? To which she responded, Better to be blind and see with your heart than to have two good eyes and see nothing. That's true spiritually. That's why Paul prayed for the Ephesians. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in His holy people, and His incomparably great power for us who believe. Paul prayed that the eyes of their hearts would be opened by God's sovereign grace. No wonder the former godless slave trader John Newton described his own conversion in the words we just sang, I once was lost, but now I'm found, was what? Blind, but now I see. Such was the testimony of the once blind Bartimaeus. Now, perhaps you've heard the phrase, seeing is believing. Sometimes skeptics will say, I will not believe it until I see it with my own eyes. And this was the stance of doubting Thomas that he declared concerning the resurrection of Jesus. Unless I see in his hands the marks of the nails and place my finger in the marks of those nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. And in mercy, Jesus appeared to Thomas. And Thomas cried out, My Lord and my God. Seeing in Thomas's case, is believing. But in another real sense, believing is seeing. When by God's grace and the work of the Spirit, we put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, our eyes are opened to the beauty and the glory and the wonder and the splendor of our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Seeing is believing, but for the Christian, believing is seeing. Our spiritual eyes are open to the wonder and the beauty of Jesus in the gospel. And with a deep sense of our unworthiness, beholding Him for who He is, like Bartimaeus, we cry out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And the wonder of the gospel is He does. Jesus, the Lord of glory, stops and he provides forgiveness and cleansing and spiritual sight in the power of the gospel. And as a result of that gracious, merciful work of Christ, the mercy of Christ is then further demonstrated in a life which exalts the glory of God. Upon being healed, Luke tells us Bartimaeus followed Jesus, glorifying God for his mercy. And we've seen this throughout Luke's gospel. That to follow Jesus meant not simply to tag along in curiosity, 
but it is a word of discipleship. To follow Jesus in the biblical sense is describing one whose allegiance to, affection for, and obedience after is riveted to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. To follow Jesus is a whole new life. It's an entirely new identity. It is to say, I am a Christian. I am a Christ follower. One whose life has been met by mercy and is gripped by grace. And then the word glorify or glorifying is from the Greek word doxa. We get the word doxology. Praise God, a glorifying God. Bartimaeus followed in doxology. And you see that new life in Christ is to be lived out in a passionate desire to borrow the language from the Shorter Catechism, to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Luke tells us Bartimaeus recovered his sight, followed Jesus, glorifying God. What a great testimony. No wonder many others joined in in praising God. You know, when we consider the response of Bartimaeus to God's mercy, this too should be our response as well. Listen to the Apostle Paul as he comes towards the latter part of his book of Romans, in which he's been talking about the grace of God and the mercy of God, he comes to chapter 12 and he begins to press home the application. This is what he writes. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. There's your life of doxology. There's the life of praise, a life of bringing glory to God. His mercy for the Christian is both the motive and the means to glorify God with every fiber of our beings in every area of our lives. Now notice the practical way in which Paul drives that acknowledgement and response of God's mercies In chapter 12 of Romans, the very next verse he writes, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good and acceptable and perfect will. Paul says, here's how we respond to the mercies of God by offering the entirety of our beings to His glory. But how do we do that? How do we learn to discern that which is good and acceptable and pleasing in His sight? How are our hearts and minds informed and transformed such that it brings maximum glory to God? The answer is our minds and hearts are renewed to the glory of God through the Word of God. It is through the ministry of the Word and Spirit that we see Christ more clearly and behold Him more dearly. It is through the Scriptures that the glory of Christ and the purpose and meaning of our lives comes into focus. 
When I was in the seventh grade, I received my first pair of glasses. And I remember putting them on and walking outside. And I could actually see the, the mortar in the bricks in the building across the street. Whereas before, it was just sort of a reddish-brown building. I, I could see individual leaves in the trees and see the limbs. Whereas before, they were just green blobs. When I put those glasses on, my world came into focus. And that's what Paul is saying about our minds being renewed. Life comes into focus as we begin to see life from God's perspective through the ministry of the Word and Spirit. It was C.S. Lewis who once said, I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. This is what we mean when we speak of a biblical world and life view. It is the cultivation of a Christian heart and mind through the Word of God, by the Spirit of God, for the glory of God. Or another way you've often heard me say a biblical world and life view is simply this. It's learning to see all of life from God's perspective in order to live all of life for God's glory. And this is essential in following Jesus in biblical discipleship. A biblical world and life view is like putting on the spectacles or lenses of Holy Scripture so that all of life comes into view under the lordship of Jesus. Every area, our vocation, our studies, our relationships, how we understand sickness and disease in this world, all of it begins to come into focus through the lens or spectacles of Holy Scripture. And so if we're going to see Christ more clearly and follow Him more faithfully and glorify Him more fully, then Paul says we must respond to the mercies of God, not only by offering ourselves as living sacrifices for His glory, but we must also do so through the renewing of our hearts and minds through the Word of God. This will require spiritual discipline. The spiritual discipline of regularly and prayerfully taking up the Word of God and reading and hearing and studying and memorizing and meditating upon the richness of the Word of God. Of God, without which our hearts will remain, according to Paul, highly susceptible to the world, to be conformed by it and, and damaged by it and even destroyed by it. It's absolutely necessary for us to have spiritual sight without which our sight will remain blurred. And so as we commit ourselves to following Jesus and glorifying Him, as students of His Word and dependent upon His Spirit, we do so asking the Holy Spirit to open our eyes, the eyes of our hearts, that we might behold Christ more clearly and see Him more beautifully as He is. Without which, we'll also be like those disciples early on. Spiritual things are just hidden. We can't see them. But through the ministry of the Word and Spirit, a whole new world is opened up for us by God's grace. Bruce Waltke, you've heard me speak of him before, whose brother Henry was a member of our church for years,
Bruce is a brilliant Old Testament scholar. Richard Pratt says next to Moses, Bruce Waltke knows Hebrew better than anybody. But Waltke writes of a time in his life in which things remained hidden from him, even as a brilliant Bible scholar. This is what he said. I used to read the Bible for its academic merit, and I will confess, I got little spiritual benefit from it. God didn't speak to me. It didn't change my heart. And then I read of a scholar who found his Bible study dry until he asked God for enlightenment. And he began praying, Lord, speak to me through your word. He did not want to simply read the stories. He wanted to know God's heart. At first he noticed very little difference in his reading. But soon, within three weeks of praying that prayer, as he read, his heart began to burn within him. God began to reveal himself, how his word can change his life, and he developed a love for teaching the word. God heard his prayer, and he began to speak to him through his word. Walkie went on to say, When I worked on translating the book of Proverbs for the New International Version, I spent 60 hours a week on the text, but after 10 weeks of work, I was further away from God than when I began because I forgot the scholar's prayer. Lord, would you reveal yourself to me in your word? The scholar's prayer was Paul's prayer. Lord, open the eyes of our hearts that we may behold It was also the psalmist's prayer. Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things in your law. May that prayer be our prayer every time we fall at the feet of Jesus with his word open, begging him for mercy to see more clearly and to love him more dearly. With a dependence upon the Holy Spirit of God, we must seek to cultivate hearts and minds through the Word of God in which we see Christ more clearly, follow Him more faithfully, and seek to glorify Him more fully for the mercy that He has shown us in the gospel of grace. And as we do, may others join in with us, glorifying God as they did in the life of Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus received his sight, followed Jesus, glorifying God. May God grant us His grace and mercy to do likewise. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we have cried out to You for mercy, for the forgiveness of our sins, and You stopped dead in Your tracks. And You have granted us mercy of forgiveness and cleansing. And Father, you've also granted us the mercy of spiritual sight. For we now behold Jesus is far more than simply Jesus of Nazareth, a historical figure. We see you, O Christ, and we behold you as the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of Man, the Son of God, the Son of David, the King of glory. And we acknowledge your worthiness of our lives to be lived for the entirety of your glory. 
Continue through the ministry of your word and spirit to enable us to cultivate hearts and minds that would indeed see you more clearly. By your grace, follow you more faithfully and seek to glorify you more fully. And in so doing, Lord Jesus, please, would many others join in in glorifying you as Lord and King, as Son of David, as Son of God. We ask in the matchless name of Christ. Amen.